0: All right, well, good morning. Good to see everybody. I appreciate Tim coming up from from the south place from Texas originally so um yeah, good to have him come up. appreciate that. continue to pray as we uh ask God to provide us for our uh new music guy. It's nice having him. actually went in with the grace kids and uh brought his guitar in there and they had some live music so um I asked Logan how it went and he goes. And that was all happened. So I, I hope he's okay. He, he looked a little bit like, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, but again, I really appreciate him doing that. Um, some of you guys know that early on, actually right, almost right after Kim and I got married, we lived out in Nebraska, of all places, and we worked at a Christian camp, which was uh, really awesome. And um, and what we would do is, so it was a year-round camp. And so we would have, in the summertime, you know, week-long camps, and then the the fall we 'd have like hunting camps uh, in fact this past week, I wore one of my ringneck roundup shirts the, the pheasant hunting camp that we put together out there and uh, and then in the wintertime like from January to April we'd have retreats and stuff, but most of that time was spent traveling and we'd go to different churches and colleges and we'd get to the churches and we would promote the camp you know we want the campers to come to camp in the summer and colleges we we go and try to recruit summer staff and stuff like that. It was a real busy time, and, you know, it was kind of hard on our family because I was gone all the time and came and had the three kids at home. But I remember going to one of the churches. Uh, a friend of mine was a pastor there, and his name was Steve, and he had this really big uh, laugh. And they had an older church, and it just echoed every time he he laughed. But we were kind of setting things up, and um, I was just talking to him, finding out how things are going at the church. I'm like, you know, Steve, how, how are things going? And he stopped, he looked at me, and he goes, well, you know, sheep, sheep are stupid, <laughs> and and I started laughing, and he, you know, <laughs> his big old laugh, and then I stopped, and went, like, wait a second, I, I'm a sheep, I'm one of those guys They he's saying is stupid, that's not really, not really nice, but anyways, uh, so that that comment has always kind of stuck with me, and um, I don't know why you remember that so vividly, but um, I just remember, yeah, sheep, they're stupid, um. And so I don't know if they are stupid or not. I know I went up on YouTube and it told me that some people think sheep are stupid and then other people think that they're really smart and all that kind of stuff. But point is this. We're going to be talking about sheep today, or Jesus is going to be talking about sheep today. And he's not talking about sheep because of their intellect, whether they're smart or stupid. He, he's talking about them because they have this unique ability to hear the voice of their shepherd and follow that shepherd. They won't hear, if there's another voice, they won't respond to it. They have become so in tune tuned to their shepherd that they will follow their shepherd by his voice. Um, and so in John chapter 10, which is where we're going to be this morning, it's page 1072 if you're using the Bibles there in the seats around you, um, Jesus starts off by reminding the Pharisees, because he's still we're, we're still in this John 9 situation where the Pharisees are there, The formerly blind man who now can see is there. There's a crowd around him. And so he's going to remind them. He's also reminding us what uh, first century shepherding was like. Because it's it's kind of key to what he's going to be teaching today. And um, we're going to talk about that first. But then the rest of the passage, he lays out this biblical truth. And the biblical truth is this, that only through Jesus do we have the guarantee of eternal life. It's only through Jesus that we have the guarantee. In other words, He's the one who gives it. And again, we've been all previous nine chapters, there's been a point in time in each of the chapters where Jesus or the disciples make it clear that He is the one who gives eternal life. Eternal life does not come through any other thing, uh, event, effort on our part, religious, irreligious, it doesn't matter. He gives life. And then we're going to learn something more today that he secures our eternal life. He makes sure that it is there for all of eternity in this life and into the next. But before we get into that, let's hear how Jesus um, explains how they did shepherding back in the day. Uh, here again, uh, the truly, truly I say to you, uh, he says this a lot. Uh, truly, truly I say to you, or, hey, listen up, this is important. Uh, by the way, um, I was reminded I should do this from time to time. I didn't do it in a ninth. 9 o'clock service, but for those who are first-time attenders, uh, I put in parentheses or I highlight words. And the reason why I do that is as I'm reading, uh, I'm not the brightest person in the world, and so uh, I have a tendency, you're probably not to like this, but I, I'll read a passage and be like, what? I don't remember what I just read. So what I've taught myself to do is as I'm reading, I put in parentheses, I, I put a highlight word, just to try to keep myself connected to the passage. And so I thought, well, maybe it'd be useful. And I found out from some of you that this is very useful. So hopefully you like this. Maybe you won't. Hopefully it's not too distracting. But anyways, hey, listen up. This is important. He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the corral of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger. And so I put up this graphic. It's not the best graphic in the world. In fact, I had to add some sheep. I did some cut and pasting this morning to add some sheep in here because there wasn't enough sheep but in the first century, the way it has worked, that this this pen, this fold corral, it would be packed with sheep. I mean, sheep upon sheep upon sheep. It'd be sheepish, and so there'd be a so there's a bunch of sheep. Because what would happen is, out on the fields, free range sheep, the shepherd calls them by name to come in at night, and he puts his sheep into the fold. And another shepherd shows up, and he puts his sheep into the fold. And then another shepherd shows up, and puts his sheep in there. And pretty soon, you have a bunch of sheep from a bunch of different shepherds. And they would leave him there, and then the doorkeeper, they would hire a guy who would be at the door, kind of like what you see there, and he would sit there all night and make sure that nobody gets in. Pay him to protect the sheep. And then the, the shepherds would go home and get some rest. Then in the morning, they would show up, and they would walk up to the doorkeeper. The doorkeeper was, yep, you're one of the shepherds. The shepherd would go, hey sheep! And then the sheep would go, Oh, that's my shepherd. And one all the way in the back would go, excuse me, boys, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, it's kind of a bad idea. But anyways, they would kind of move. Love that one. Anyways, I just thought of it. I didn't, it's not even in my notes. Uh, no, seriously. And so, anyways, so all these sheep would start moving around, and the, the guy keeps calling for a sheep, and those sheep would show up, and once he had them all, count them all, okay, got them all, and he would walk on. Another shepherd would walk up and then he'd be like, hey, sheep! And they oh, that's my guy. So then they would all work their way through and bounce in all these sheep, and pretty soon he'd have all these sheep, and he'd walk away. And it would just happen over and over and over again. If somebody else wanted to get to these sheep that were not a shepherd, they would either come over the wall, which would not be good, um, or like even if another shepherd, shepherd came up and then started talking, none of the other sheep would follow except for his sheep. And so... What Jesus is trying to tell them, hey, listen, religious leaders, you're trying to get to my sheep. The wrong way. They're not smelling what he's cooking, and so he decides, okay, I'm going to continue on with this point. Now, as he continues on, um, he's going to actually fulfill two of this, in his illustration, there's two aspects here. One, just like this guy here, he is the door. So it's not like him standing holding a door, he is the door. All right? And he's also the shepherd, uh, who calls the sheep. And so let's see what Jesus has for us. So it says, So Jesus said to them, again, Truly, truly, I say to you, hey, listen up, I am the door, again, to the sheepfold, of the sheep. So in other words, people who want to get into Jesus' fold, people who want to get into um, Jesus' group of sheep, uh, those who want to have eternal life, kind of where he's going with this, has to go through Jesus. All right? That's what he's saying here. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. So he's, again, he's got the Pharisees standing there, the religious leaders. He's got a crowd there. He's got the man who was born blind, who now sees. And he's saying, hey, these previous leaders of Israel, and he's talking about the ones who are not following God, okay? Um, so he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep, people who follow God, did not hear them. So there is always this... Um, uh, the remnant is kind of what they're called in the Old Testament, no matter how bad the religious leaders or the political leaders of Israel got, who were supposed to be leading Israel toward God, no matter how bad they got, there's always some who remained faithful to God, and they didn't listen to the leaders who were telling them to go in a different direction. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it for a reason, which I'll explain here in a second. He says, I am the door. If anyone, so this is any, anyone, people, us here in the room, enters through me, he will be saved. Saved from what? Well, will be saved from their sin and hell, and they'll have eternal life, and will go in and out and find pasture. In other words, once you come to Christ, and you say, I want you to be my shepherd, he forgives you of your sin, and you become part of his fold. then he calls you, and then you follow him, and as you follow him, he protects you, and he provides for you. That's what the in and out he's talking about here. The thief, the is unwilling to follow Jesus, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In other words, they end up keeping people from God, leading people away from God. And we've got people doing this today in churches that are not teaching from the Bible. but teaching what they want. They're leading people away from God. I came that they may have life. And he's talking about spiritual life. And not just life, but have it abundantly. That Greek word there, parazon, means it goes beyond what is necessary. It's it's way more than what we deserve as sinful people. And so Jesus is the door. And so if you're here this morning and you're, you're uncertain about whether you have eternal life or not, the Gospel of John, John said, I wrote this that you might know you have eternal life. And so he's going through the life of Jesus and explaining to us how it was That if you want to be confident that you have eternal life, it's only through Jesus. It's only putting your faith in Christ. And then when we do that, we're saved. We're saved from our sin and the consequences of our sin, which is judgment from God, which is eternity in hell. And we're given entrance into heaven. We have a relationship with him. When we die physically, we get to go to heaven. While we're on earth, we have Jesus who leads and directs us. Now he does that, of course, through his word. And as Jesus says to do life this way and to do life that way and to respond to situations this way and to and uh, you know trust me in this area and trust me in that area, then he provides and he protects. It's only when we kind of go off, right, where that provision of protection goes away because he, he's not going to allow us to keep going in that direction. He wants us to follow follow him. And then this is the abundant life. This is the life that we don't deserve. We don't deserve that kind of life here on this earth, and we certainly don't deserve that kind of life when it comes to heaven and eternity. And he says every spiritual leader before him was a thief and a robber. Again, he's, he's speaking about these those that were disobedient to God and they were leading people away from God. The, the former leaders of Israel, they actually killed his prophets, just like these religious leaders are trying to get at Jesus and to kill him. And then they led people away from God and so people didn't understand what salvation was all about. And, and, they, and they found themselves, when they died physically, spending eternity and hell. Fortunately, there were those who heard the voice of God in the Old Testament, who followed God and did what God wants. And so, what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, Hey, this group of Israel people, this group of Jewish people, what are you going to do? This is your opportunity. Are you going to follow God, moi, or are you going to listen to the religious leaders? to do what they say to do. Which which voice are you going to follow? Which voice are you going to make part of your life? And so, in the next verses here, he's going to make his case for why he is the good shepherd, why he is the one that you should follow in this world, that they should have and we should have. And he says this, <clears throat> I am the good shepherd. Well, how do we know? Well, number one, the good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. He's going to die for us. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Now why does that happen? Well, he flees because he's a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. <clears throat> I am the good shepherd. How do we know? Well, number two, I know my own and my own know me. In other words, there's a relationship there we'll talk about here in a second. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, so this this knowing that Jesus has with His and the sheep knowing Him, it's similar to the relationship that I, He now has as God and the God the Son in flesh that He has with God the Father, which is pretty awesome. And as I've already said, I laid down my life for the sheep. Number three, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Well, who are they? We'll talk about that in a minute. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock. So in other words, one flock with the Jewish people who are believing in Jesus, with one shepherd. Of course, that's Jesus. For this reason, the Father loves me. What reason? Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. So now we know that he's not just going to die, but he's going to rise again, which, and he's going to do it, which is pretty cool. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. The reason number four why he's a good shepherd, this commandment I received from my father. And so there's several things here that says, he's saying, hey, here, I'm a good shepherd, and here's why. The first one is this, that he'll die for his sheep. He said, I'll lay down my life. He's going to sacrifice himself just in a few months' time here. He's got some more teaching to do, but then eventually it's going to be the upper room, John 13. He's going to do a bunch of teaching through there, and then he's going to be arrested and the, the religious leaders are finally going to have their chance, and they're going to put him on a cross with the help of the Roman uh, government. But it's, it's, that's not the reason why he's there. The reason why he's on the cross is because he's, he's willingly giving himself up. He's going to die for his sheep. God the Son became man so he could die for mankind, so that we would no longer have the weight of God's judgment for our sin hanging over us. We can have our sins forgiven. We could be made right with God. And not only have Him taking care of us in this world, but when we die physically to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven, we can be part of Jesus' fold. A hired hand can't do this. A hired hand, anybody else could not do this. They don't have the skin in the game. They don't own the sheep. They don't care about the sheep. There's no relationship there between the sheep, which is the second thing. Is that he's a good shepherd because he loves the sheep? And you say, "Well, I didn't see love in there." I get it, but the word "know" in the Greek means to have a relationship or a relational love for somebody. It's knowing somebody personally. It's a it's a personal relationship. And so, what Jesus is saying here is, "Listen, I'm the good I'm the good shepherd because I want to have a personal relationship with you, my sheep." And not only is that going to be kind of a cool thing, but it's the, it's the same kind of relationship that I have with the Father now because now God has, done, has become man. And so that's an intimate relationship. That, that's a relationship that, again, talking about abundant life, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve to be able to have a relationship with the God of the universe that is intimate, that He knows us, He knows us by name, and we can know Him as well. And then Jesus slips in this little shocking truth and he says, I have other sheep. And so one of the things that makes him a great uh, or a good shepherd is that he unites his sheep. He's saying to these people, he, doesn't, he just kind of drops it and then walks away with it. It's kind of interesting. But he said, I have other sheep. And I'm going to bring those other sheep. They hear my voice. I'm going to bring them into the fold. And who's he talking about? Well, he's talking to Jewish people. So it can't be to Jewish people. He's talking about everybody who is not a Jew. You and me. The Gentiles, as the Bible calls them. And so what he's saying here is, hey, listen, salvation is not just for the Jewish nation. It's for everybody. Everybody has this opportunity to be shepherded by Jesus, to be a part of his fold, to have a relationship with him, that he knows you and you can know him, and you can be confident of having that relationship. Today we call that the church. Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came and he, he initiated what we call today the church. And so all Jewish people who place their faith in Christ and all Gentile people who place their faith in Christ, they become the church. We are a small pocket of the greater church that's in this world. Then the other thing that causes him to be a good shepherd is that he obeys the Father. Now again, he throws it at the end of this, but he's saying, hey, I'm going to die, and I'm also going to raise myself up again, But he's saying, "I'm doing this willingly. God wants me to do this. It's commanded by God the Father to do this, but I'm willingly doing this. I'm I'm willingly offering myself up. Not only that, but I have the authority to die, and I have the authority to rise. That's hard to say. Raise myself from the dead, right? Raise, rise myself, raise myself. So raise myself from the dead. It says that God loves him for this. It's not like it's not that He loves Jesus because He's doing something." No, he loves him that he has that same passion. And of course he has that. He's God the Son. He has the same passion to see people come to Christ. And he willingly and freely sacrifices himself. And then he's going to defeat sin and death by rising from the dead. So this got the religious leaders uh, into another argument. And some of them are saying, hey, man, this guy is demon-possessed, or he's insane. And the other ones are saying, no, he's not demon-possessed. How can a demon-possessed man, you know heal this blind guy right down here. I mean, it, it, this can't happen that way. And so Jesus must have taken the opportunity to leave at that point, to get out of Jerusalem, because John chapter 10, verse 22, um, it actually is two months later. So we we didn't see this. No one told us this, but as you study it out, um, there's this feast of dedication. Uh, it's during the month of November and December. So you remember he was... In Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, we talked about. Now he's in this other feast, the Feast of Dedication. This is uh, this is not um, one that's commanded in the Old Testament. One of the big four. This is something that they added on later. And let me just really quickly give you the backstory to that. So during the period of time what we call the Intertestamental period, or, or the time of silence, um, Nehemiah chronologically is the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew is the first. Book of the New Testament, and so there's 400 years between there. So Israel existed for 400 years, and God was silent. God wasn't speaking to them during that time. um, About 164 years before Christ, towards the end of this 400 400 year period, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, he's a Syrian king. He comes into Israel, he takes over Israel, and he just he just you know abuses them and he oppresses them, and he goes into their temple. And he sacrifices a pig on their temple altar, which desecrates the altar. Nobody will worship on that altar again. A guy named Judas Maccabeus, you might have heard of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Maccabees, um, some apocryphal books, but it's the history of Israel basically that was taking place during some of those years. And Judas Maccabeus, the son of Mr. Maccabeus, he led a revolt to retake Jerusalem. And he overtakes the king, They get Jerusalem back under Jewish control, and they go in and they cleanse the temple. And that's what they're celebrating here, this cleansing of the temple. Today we call it Hanukkah. All right, So that's the connection with us today if you're familiar with that. So let's pick up the story. Some of you guys are going, oh, my word hero, thank you, move on. Anyways, at the time of the Feast of Dedication it took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So it's always good to know where he's at. So he's at the Temple Mount, the Holy Holies is the big thing in the center. And then in the back is the portico of Solomon. If you're walking in it, it's going to look like that. So if you kind of picture it, as I'm reading, picture Jesus walking along. He's got the little religious leaders nipping at his heels. And he's got a crowd around him. Maybe the blind guy came back after two months. I don't know. But he's got a bunch of people around him. And he continues. So the Jews, the religious leaders, then gathered around him. And we're saying to him, how long will you keep us suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, they know he's the Christ. They know he's God. But they want him to say it. Because if they can say it, it's a lot easier than to go ahead and have him put up on a cross. Jesus answered and said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. So, just stop real quick. So if you're here this morning, that's supposed to be true. So you follow him. You know, it just, you know, kind of just throws it down there for us to kind of mess with. But, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. They'll never spend eternity in hell. They'll only have eternal life. And no one, not you, not God, not anyone or anything, will snatch them out of my hand. Wow. My Father, though so he ups the ante here, says, who has given them to me, So we're a gift to from God to Jesus, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Not you, not Jesus, not anyone or anything. So when we place our faith in Christ, Jesus has us, and then God's hands... Are over Jesus now? Of course, God doesn't have hands, spirit, but you get the point. Then Jesus says, "This I and the Father are one." So here's the last reason why Jesus is a good shepherd, because he guarantees our eternal life. He starts out by saying to the religious leaders, "Hey, you're not one of my sheep. You don't hear me. You're not. Get, you're not seeing what I'm doing. You, you don't realize that. You know, actions speak louder than words, right?" My action shows that I'm God and I'm also pretty much saying I'm God if you're catching it but the reason why you don't believe me is because you don't hear me. You're not one of my sheep because I give my sheep eternal life and I guarantee it. No one can take them out of my hands and certainly nobody can take them out of God the Father's hands. We are locked in there. We're not going anywhere. We can't even squirm out of that if we wanted to. Now how can this be? I want to spend some time on this if I, I can this morning. First of all, I'm going to, we're going to look at Paul. So um, Paul and Peter and James and John, these guys, they continued to write the New Testament. It was, it was filling in the blanks for us of what Jesus taught in the Gospels. And it was um, the Holy Spirit inspired them and, and uh, led them to write down the things that they wrote down. And so Paul is now going to explain to us how this could be. How does this happen? And so the first thing he says this in Ephesians chapter 1, 5, so right away at the beginning of of his letter, it says, he, speaking of God, predestined or chose us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So, by the way, God didn't save you and me because we're so special. He did it because of his will, because of his kind intention. Now, here's the deal. God chose us. And he adopted us. What's so big about adoption? Well, today, adoption is not that big of a deal. Because in this day and age, you can get rid of your kids any way you want. You can get rid of your parents any way you want. It's really not, not a whole lot of commitment going on there. If you really want to get out, you can get out. But in the first century, in the Jewish culture and the Roman culture, if a person adopts a child, that child, legally, can never be, in, be rejected by the parents. They're The children that they birth. They can get rid of them. But they can't ever get rid of a child that they adopt. Because the law says you can't do that. Which is interesting, right? But here's the deal. When we're reading scripture, we have to understand what are the what's the first audience who's hearing this understanding here? What they're understanding is not the twenty first century idea of adoption, they're understanding the first century idea of adoption. And so when they hear that, wow, God adopted me, he will never get rid of me. I will always be his. is that awesome? And it's still true today. It doesn't ever change. Then he goes on and says this. this is later on in chapter 1. He says, in him, Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, so it's not just hearing it, it's you doing something, it's it's you taking a, a personal step of faith and trusting yourselves into God's hands. you are sealed in Him with God the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of promise. That word "sealed" means to be marked or identified as God's, by God the Holy Spirit, who is given the Holy Spirit as a pledge or a first installment or guarantee of our inheritance with a view, so looking forward to the redemption of God's own possession. In other words, the complete work of being in heaven. So when we place our faith in Christ, we have eternity. And so if God says, okay, so you know you're going to have eternity, I'm going to put God the Holy Spirit in your life. Not that you become God, not that you can ever become God, but we have God the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's our our first installment. He's our guarantee that we're going to spend eternity with God. And then he goes one step further in Ephesians 2. He says, but God, now he just got done talking about the fact that we're all children of wrath, we're um, spiritually dead without Christ. Uh, He says, but God, being rich in mercy, which is infinite amount of mercy, not getting what we deserve, which we deserve eternity and hell because of our sin, because of his great love, which is an infinite amount of love, everything about God is infinite, so he's doing what's best for us no matter what it might cost us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, when we were spiritually dead, we had no hope of spiritual life, God made us alive together with Christ by grace, an infinite amount of grace, so in other words, getting what we don't deserve, which is turning to heaven, you have been saved, saved again from sin and hell. And God raised us up. So now this is a spiritual thing that's happened, right? Because when you place your faith in Christ, you stayed here, right? I know I did, <laughs> right? So this is a spiritual thing that happened. So raised us up, past tense, with him and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So again, God didn't save us for us. God saved us to show how awesome and, uh, that he is. Now, <clears throat> the past tense, why is that important? I, I should have highlighted seated there for you. I apologize. Um, in the Greek, when they do this, when they take a topic and they throw it to the past, it's emphasizing the permanence of what has happened. So when, when we place our faith in Christ, and God then saves us, forgives us our sins, places God the Holy Spirit in us, that decision, that adoption into his family, is so sure as, as, it's, as it's, already, it's as if we're already in heaven. He's already raised us. He's already seated us with him in the heavenly places. We are there. We're just living out our life for now. But when we die, we're going to be there. So in other words, there's no way, if you're truly believing in in Christ, if you truly meant it when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there's no way that that will ever be taken away from you. God will never disown you. You might wander off like sheep do. He'll always get you back, because that's what he does. That's, that's what he does for his sheep. Jesus ends this by saying, "I and the Father are one." and this takes the religious leaders to another level of anger. And look what happens. The Jesus the Jesus. The Jews uh, whoops. Jesus picked up stones and threw them back. <laughs> Come on. Anyways, the Jews, the religious leaders, picked up stones again. So they've done this before, to stone him. Again, they knew what he was saying. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? In other words, you can't stone me for doing good. What are you, what are you doing? They go on. The Jews answered and said, For a good work we do not stone you, but for a blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Now, the out to be is actually not in the Greek. You make yourself God. So they know what he's talking about. They know what he's saying. All right. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said, you are gods? Now, I need to stop. need to explain this, and hopefully this makes sense. But in Psalm 82, back in the Old Testament, that's why it's capitalized, um, the, the psalmist said, you are gods. And he, what he's doing, he's talking about the religious leaders and the political leaders of Israel back in the Old Testament. And in context, chapter or Psalm 82, these are ones who are not following after God. So therefore, God's going to judge them. Right? And there's a reason why he's... Using this. And so what he's saying is hey, you guys are okay with call, calling the former leaders, even bad former leaders, gods. In the sense that they speak for God. They're leading Israel on behalf of God. They're supposed to speak for God. These guys weren't doing it right. But because you guys are okay with calling them gods, small g, of course, then what's the deal? Why can't you call me God? All right, so he's he's kind of making that, he's kind of challenging them a little bit with that. All right. If he, the psalmist writer, called them gods and to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, so that's what he said. It actually was, they were called that. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works. So you may... Know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him. So I'm assuming they dropped the rocks, and now they're going to go grab him. And he eluded their grasp. The word uh, grasp there is the same word as snatch from verse 28. can't snatch him out of my hand. It's violently trying to grab him. There's a scuffle going on. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John, speaking of John the Baptist, was baptizing. Yeah, that's north of Jerusalem, that area we talked about in previous weeks. And he was staying there. Many came to him in that area and were saying, while John the Baptist performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man, speaking of Jesus, was true. And many believed in him there. So, Jesus tries again to explain who he is. The works show that he's God. They're not getting it. They're not believing it. Instead they try to grab him. Again, there's a scuffle that goes on. There's a crowd, there's a Pharisees and they're trying to get at him. And he's moving around and he finally gets himself out and he heads back up north to a more friendly crowd of people because he's well received north of Jerusalem. Then we find out, as John says, that many came to him and many believed who he was. They entrusted themselves into his hands. Next week, we're going to be in John 11 and Uh, We're told there that while he's up uh, in that northern area, he gets word from um, some friends that Lazarus, a good friend of his, has died. uh, Or actually, he's sick. And Jesus decides to stay up there for a few extra days and allows Lazarus to die. He could have gone down and healed him, but no, he chooses to stay up there and he allows him to die. Now, why would he do that? Well, you have to come back next week and find it out. Or you can read ahead. Uh, but for now, what are our takeaways? What do we pull from John 10? Well, first of all, it's this. If you're here this morning and you don't know if you have eternal life, you can't say with confidence that you have eternal life, then today's the day to hear Jesus' voice and to turn to him, to ask him to have a relationship with you, to enter into that relationship. He died for you to make that happen. And so, how does that happen? Well, it's actually really simple. It's you having a conversation with God. It's, it's your heart to God's heart. And it's just saying to him, hey, listen, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your laws. I know I've disobeyed you. I know I've disobeyed the people who you told me I'm supposed to obey. You know, I've done things wrong. I know. And, it, and you guys, listen, everybody knows that about themselves, right? I think we'd all be pretty honest with ourselves. None of us are perfect. And so it's just admitting that and saying, God, I need your forgiveness. I want this relationship with you. I want to know that I not only have eternal life, but that you'll be here for me, providing and protecting me. And then it's just believing, believing what God says about what Jesus did. That somebody had to pay for your sin. It's either going to be you or it can be Jesus, who God the son became man so he could do that, human so he could do that. And he, he takes our place, which is, again, unbelievable. That's a love that a lot of us can't even begin to understand, but we can believe it anyways. We can put our full weight of trust in what God says, and then just confess it. Just have a conversation with God about that. Your heart to his. So I'd like to do this morning. I don't do this every week, but um, i like to do it this morning. Uh, just go ahead and close your eyes. And if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I need that. I-, I want that for my life. I want to know that I have eternal life. I have a relationship with the God who created me. I'm just going to lead you in that conversation. Is your heart to God's heart. Now, if you've done this before, I have to always seem to remind us of this. If you've done this before, if you truly meant it in the past, at that moment in time, your salvation was secure. And it's secure for eternity. You don't have to keep praying that prayer over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's spiritual birth we thought about in John 3. It only happens once. And so this morning, if you need to have that conversation with God, let me just kind of lead you in that conversation that you can have Just your heart to God's heart. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've disobeyed you and i disobeyed others and done things wrong. And I need your forgiveness. But I also know, I believe, I'm I'm putting my full weight of trust that Jesus took my judgment on himself. So I'm telling you, I believe in Jesus. I'm trusting you to be forgiven and believing what you said. I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. Just keep your eyes closed. If you've made that decision this morning, I would would love to know that. Uh, I'm not going to come chase you down necessarily or I'm not going to make phone calls or anything. Just raise your hand up and just let me know you you prayed uh, that prayer this morning. So that I can be praying for you as well. And of course I'm always available. If you need to talk. Just put your hand up real quick and put it back down. Okay. Right. Let's go ahead and you can open your eyes before you fall asleep. We got one last thing. For those of us who are believers, those of us who put our faith in Christ, Jesus said that I I lead them, they follow me. Um, and so the question is, are you following Jesus? Are you doing life the way Jesus said to do life? Because in that is his protection and his provision. And so the challenge for us this morning, those of us who say we've placed our faith in Christ, is to evaluate that. Am I doing life the way God wants me to do it? Or am I starting to wander away from what God wants? Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, just thank you so much for John 10. Just the words here from Jesus... Uh, Just one of my favorite passages. So good. So plain. Lord, I pray for anyone here in this room that um, I'm praying that some have prayed and maybe just didn't want to acknowledge it. But Lord, is there uh, those here who don't know you that you won't let them rest until they have that right with you that they receive your offer of salvation? And Lord, for us who have already done that, I pray that you would help us to to follow after Jesus, that we would hear His voice and that we'd follow after Him and we'd do life the way He says to do it. And in all that, just like our salvation is to bring You honor and glory, may our lives do that as well. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Have a great rest of the day and represent Christ well.